Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with an episode that I'm very excited about. So, as you guys may have been paying, well, if anyone's been paying attention, <laughs> we've been having a lot of focus on intake in the last little bit. Um, if you guys actually, this was a podcast that was released this morning, uh, but probably will be a couple of weeks in the past for when we get this episode out. But we actually have Ricky Walter and Gary Winter from Lavex which is an estate planning firm in Central California um, that originally ended up reaching out for a listener question. But when we dug into it, we found out that these guys were running a pretty special operation. And I thought it was stuff that people needed to hear about. And they graciously agreed to come on the podcast and we have them here today. So thank you so much, Gary and Ricky, for making time to uh, come on the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome, Jan. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. All right. Awesome. So I kind of wanted to start out with just big picture stuff. I can tell based on our previous conversations and just stuff like that, that you guys are getting fantastic results with intake. And I think that's probably boiling down to focus on one level or another and something that you guys are doing differently than other firms in the area. So zooming out to like super big picture, what was it that got you guys focused on intake as a priority for the firm back in the day? Yeah, well, we we actually, I think, learned it the hard way. We hired a dedicated marketing guy who was a full-time guy, and we were diving into all kinds of buying leads, uh, Google ads, uh, running SEO, and building up the website content, all, of the, all the normal things, none of which are, are necessarily wrong. But what we learned was we were generating a lot of interest, and they weren't first of all, necessarily the right people for our firm. And secondly, we, we didn't always handle that lead as well as we could. And so we sat down very early on and said, okay, we, we maybe have done this a little bit backwards. And what we went to was a dedicated intake model where we really, really doubled down and just said, we want to be extremely good at handling our leads and making sure we get the right people in the door and then serving them up to our partner attorneys at their initial consultation as best we possibly can. If we're not doing that, then, you know, we're, we're wasting a lot of people's time, both on the intake side and the partner side. So I think it became, uh, you know, really apparent to us after sort of fielding all those leads. Uh, Ricky fielded a lot of them. We all did. And we had a lot of appointments, but that doesn't necessarily turn into production, right? I mean, it's, volume or quantity does not necessarily equal quality. So we learned that. We learned it by doing and experimenting and we learned it the hard way. And that that's really, I think, what turned us on to, hey, I think we need to be focused first of all and be really, really good at intake. Yeah, gotcha. And I know, um, I don't know, because I think we mentioned in the pre-call a little bit, having some of those stats up to kind of zoom towards the end a little bit the numbers that you guys are getting right now on cold intake. And if, you know, Gary or Ricky had that stuff available, what are the numbers looking like today? Yeah, we just pulled it as part of our conversation with you. We were doing back and forth on email. We just pulled it, I think, a week ago. And we had, uh, for the year to date, 2020, 154 cold leads with 121 appointments set. So 78% appointment conversion. And then 85 of those appointments were attended for a 70% conversion to the sit-down. 
and then 42 of them actually engaged. So we're, you know, from engagement to the cold lead, it's a, it's a 27% uh, conversion ratio. So we're, we're actually really, really happy with that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, no, that is totally amazing. And the thing is that it was actually interesting. I recorded that podcast before I ended up getting those numbers from you guys. I was like, oh yeah, you know, if you can get 20% of these people in the door, I'd consider that a smashing success. But you guys have, you know, 80% of the people that you're ended up, or I think it was 80 and 80. I could do the math on that <laughs> if it was earlier in the day. But I mean, it's also yeah, just, it's, it's that uh, I, you know, I totally agree. That's, those are fantastic numbers. So um, I want to kind of dig into something, which is I think some people don't necessarily realize how important this is, but you don't look at things in terms of an overall close rate. So can you take us through the the major stages that you guys keep track of as far as the intake process and how that usually ends up shaping out? Yeah, we well, one of the things we learned when we first dove in and really started tracking our, our leads and looking at our stats was that it wasn't always appropriate to look at conversion ratio from a global standpoint, because you're looking at three different kinds of people. And we identified, first of all, we have returning clients, which we call bucket one. Um, we have referred people who are new clients, referred new clients, bucket two, and then, you know, cold leads, people that just call in from internet advertising or, or the website or whatever. And that's our bucket three. And so we analyzed our conversion ratios in, in those three categories. And the stats that I just gave you are bucket three cold leads. You know, our, our stats for bucket two and bucket one are obviously much better, much higher. But in order to really get a handle on what was happening there, we, we needed to break it into those three categories and start, you know, really focusing on it. So, so we, we refer to it as those buckets. Some other people, you know, have different names for it, but I think it's important to segment, you know, who you're talking to and then look at conversion if you're going to, you know, have an intake coordinator like Ricky, we, we wanted her to be able to say, okay, this is what I should expect. This is a, a good target for this particular type of person. Right. And then also just to kind of zoom out a little bit on timeline too, like we were talking about the story when you guys really you know, dug your heels and decided this was something you wanted to do. How long ago was that to get to the point where we're at today? We started, we, we've really started working hard on the marketing after we branded the firm. We branded in 2014. I was a solo from 2009 to 2014. And I, you know, just built up my practice to the extent that I thought I could. And I had this vision for, uh, you know, a hub and spoke kind of a firm, a distributed law firm is what people are calling it now with a, a centralized space for admin and meeting with clients, but then lawyers and staff can work remotely. Um, so we wanted to develop LawVex into that distributed law firm. So as part of the, the rebrand out of my name and into LawVex, we pushed into the marketing space pretty hard to try and really build up the, the lead flow for our, for our partners that were joining us. So I'd say it's probably been at least five years. I think we've been at it pretty hard for about five years, six years. Okay. Awesome. And then like, yeah, just to, just to kind of give some, some, I mean, this isn't something that happened overnight, but with dedicated focus, getting to the point where this is something you can really consistently do and kind of getting the process going. And, um, all right. So, um, kind of thinking back when, when things ended up starting out and, um, you know, I'll bring you in for this one, Ricky. So it's like, you know, when you if you can think back to the times and I think that was probably about three years ago or so, like, what was it like dealing with these, uh, initial people that were coming from the marketing and, and what kind of objections were you getting from people before you really looked into getting this process together? Uh, well, for me, I actually went to school to be a paralegal. So I started out uh, with LawVex doing my internship here and ended up being hired on as an intake coordinator. Uh, once LawVex wanted someone specialized in specifically intake, taking on those uh, initial phone calls. So for me, it was 
a, a whole new experience. It's not wasn't something that I I went into having a, a marketing background in, or um, you know, I was just like, I'm glad to be a part of the firm. You know, I'll I'll try it. And so I ended up finding out I had a natural skill set for talking to uh, potential clients over the phone and current clients over the phone. And so for me, it came very natural to me. I care about people and their needs. And so I wanted them to feel comfortable in speaking with me, uh, being able to build that relationship with them. So they felt comfortable meeting with the attorneys at the firm and coming into our firm and the the background and education about our firm. And so um, a lot of the objections that I had gotten um, right off the bat were pricing. That's always a, a, a big flag for people when they're, you know, they're shopping around, uh, regardless of uh, really the legal need, you know, they want like, how much is this going to cost me? Mm. So we do uh, try to cater to those needs. You know, we do a no charge consultation. We want them to go through our intake process, come in, get a chance to meet us face to face or uh, initial call if they are, you know, living remotely or for any reason and um, just give a, give them the opportunity to, to kind of to know us right out the gate and uh, do like a meet and greet and then a discussion of their legal needs and, and go from there. But number one would definitely be uh, price conscious for sure. Yeah. And I also kind of want to point some things out that are super interesting. So first of all, Ricky, you're the ultimate team player. If you came in to do paralegal stuff and you just stepped up to the plate for probably one of the, one of the most uncomfortable jobs in any law firm, right? So absolute kudos to that. But like, I want to also point out too, it's just like, if you step back to those numbers and look at how much of an awesome job that you're doing, a lot of the times, I think there's this perception that leads people away from looking into intake when they think, yeah, well, like, you know, you got to have this crazy, you know, Alec Baldwin, like coffee is for closers model. But like the stuff that you're talking about, Ricky, it's, it's about empathy. It's about meeting people where they're at. And that's how, you know, a lot of times people don't equate that to having really, really stellar intake results, but like, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's really uh, illustrative that that's the kind of stuff that you're focusing on a call more than other stuff else. Um, now, as far as kind of how you guys have kind of gotten into the process, obviously, you know, then versus now, like um, what are like the key things that you're listening for when somebody ends up calling the phone, but it's a bucket three lead and how are you kind of getting them onto the path where, you know, you're going to be getting them on the road to booking an appointment? So answering the phone call, uh, we've taken another tact instead of just saying, hey, law offices. Yeah. Uh, I start out by saying, hi, thank you for calling LawVex. This is Ricky speaking. How may I help you? You know, right off the bat, you know where you're calling, you know who you're speaking with. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to assist you in any way I can. Um, so at first, you don't really know if it's a, a cold lead or referral or an existing, I mean, most of the time, you know, if you know if it's an existing client, they say who they are, you know, they're, if they're a little bit more uh, friendlier, you have that more laid back relationship with existing clients. Um, but I always kind of start out the same, you know, I say, you know, thank you for calling our office. And, um, you know, they, they just say, hey, like, I, I need a will or a trust. You know, and I said, well, thank you so much for reaching out to our firm in regards, you know, to your uh, your estate planning needs and goals. I'd be happy to assist you with scheduling an appointment in regards to the services. 
Um, I kind of get a general idea of what they're looking for, if they already have an estate plan. So during this process, I'm thinking of like the attorney I can set them up with, the, the scheduling in that aspect. Uh, we have two locations now, you know, which one works better for them. And then I always ask them, you know, hey, how did you hear about our firm? If they were personally referred, of course, you know, we like to track that information. We always send handwritten thank you cards to our referral sources. Uh, we value those uh, relationships and, um, you know, we want them to continue to refer uh, their clients to us. And if they're coldly, you know, oh, hey, I just, you know, I just threw something in Google, you know, you're the first person that popped up or, you know, you're the only one that answered. I called a couple other firms and, you know, and sometimes uh, with trust and estates, a lot of people, they really don't know what they're looking for until they can find someone to, to take that time to educate them and kind of sift through that dialogue and, and what they're needing. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point too. Cause it's like, as far as people that are coming in and they're being very short and getting the stuff for the price, it's like, you know, on some level, if you're getting the numbers that you're getting at, you figure out a good way to uh, use the conversational judo to get people back on the right path. But um, what kind of process are you using to, to get people out of the question asking mode and getting them into the question answering mode? So listening is, is something that I, I definitely incorporate when I'm, when I'm on my, when I'm taking an initial phone call, uh, you can learn a lot when them just talking, yeah. you know, they're talking about uh, their family situation, their personal situation, what they don't want, what they do want, uh, their past experiences with other attorneys, you know, and they want reassurance that you're not going to be, you know, billable hours and, you know, non-itemized invoices, you know, they want. <laughs> <laughs> they want reassurance, you know, it's like past relationships or something like, oh, I don't want to get into this again, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I just generally listen to them and I, I let them know like this, these are areas that we specialize in. All of the attorneys that we have here at the firm are uh, specialized in these niches. Um, they have lots of experience. They can certainly ask uh, answer any questions you may have, you know, let me get you on the calendar for a no charge consultation to answer those questions for you. And a lot of the time it really works. Um, I think that sometimes when it comes to marketing and sales, um, you don't want to be too, too, too salesy. You don't want to dominate the conversation. You don't want to really, um, you know, make them feel forced. They want to feel comfortable and that they're, they're being heard. So I, I kind of just navigate the call to them. It's all about them, what we could do for them, um, what I could do to make to make their day better. They're calling not because they want to, <laughs> they need help. And so in that moment, I try to just give them some type of relief, you know, this that, oh, you know, that they can just that relax and, and um, know that the help is on the way. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so that, that always really helps out. And then, um, with our, our intake, we, we do use Clio, like Gary had mentioned earlier. And so we do uh, take advantage of Clio Grow. That's how we track all of our intake and our leads and them through our pipeline. So, um, you know, it's always good to give them something to do um, so they don't forget about you after you just hang up on the, you know, hang up because they've talked to so many people. So, you know, I say, hey, I have you, you know, scheduled for Tuesday at this time with this attorney. I'm going to email you that appointment date and time. It has our firm information, our website information, along with our, uh, we always send out a digital assessment for them to fill out as well. Gives them a little bit of homework to do. Uh, 
when we hang up the phone, they, they know I'm going to be sending those emails uh, to them as well. So it's just good to, to keep that going uh, until they come to our office and, and actually meet with us. Yeah. And I think that's super important too, because if we kind of go back to those numbers, getting about, you know, four out of five people that are on the phone are going to schedule an appointment and that, you know, a lot of that boils down to like, you know, the experience that they're having when they're on the phone with you, but also that show rate's really important too. So you mentioned, basically, there's a couple email follow-ups. Um, do you guys think about when you're scheduling these things? Like, do you try to keep things within a certain time or what other uh, process is happening in between the initial appointment being booked and the person actually walking into the office? So once they're on the calendar and the email goes out, uh, our office manager, Tisha English, she does a what we call a matter review phone call the, the very following day. She reaches out to them, uh, introduces herself to them and uh, gives them a little bit of information about our firm, that she's our office manager, uh, reminds them, you know, you spoke with Ricky yesterday and scheduled an appointment for, for such and such date. I wanted to confirm that you received our uh, appointment email and our uh, digital assessment. Uh, we do give them a time frame to fill out that assessment. We like to receive it back within three business days of their appointment. Otherwise, if they do not, we will cancel your appointment. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, honestly. <laughs> so, uh, and so we, we give them a deadline on that too. You know, um, our time is just as valuable as theirs as well. And so, you know, they do have that time frame, and which is really surprising. Her and I will will discuss after her matter review call and people that just set up an appointment with me, not even 24 hours later, they forgot all about me and they don't know who I am and where are you calling from again? And so it's really good to do that, that additional step. And then um, they do get an appointment reminder the day before as well. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I was actually just on the phone with one of my sales guys who's uh, we, we made a pretty recent hire, but I, I told him as far as people showing up to the demo, I assume that every single person got hit in the head with a baseball bat the moment they hung up the phone. So, I always, you know, you got to make sure you're telling them that you told them. And then also usually a little bit of a refresher when they end up picking up is usually a good thing as well. Um, okay. So I wanted to zoom out a little bit as far as, so we've talked about kind of, and again, it's like the, the bucket one, the bucket two leads, and we know that those are kind of going to be a little bit, it's, it's kind of, uh, your game to lose at that point for those for the most part. So I'm sure those, those numbers are pretty high. So I'm always kind of trying to fixate on what you guys would classify as a bucket three leads, but in terms of the stuff that's coming in, you guys have the phone calls, but I guess what are the major traffic sources that are getting somebody on the phone with you, Ricky, or on, you know, on a, a you know, a mail or sorry, it's like an email or a form fill or something like that. How, how are the, what, what are the, the things that, that fill up that, that, that third bucket? Yeah. As far as lead channels at one point, Jan, we had 16, I think, wow. that we were tracking, which is too many, actually. <laughs> but we wanted to sort of just throw the net really wide and see what stuck. Um, and we were, we were analyzing not only our conversion ratios, you know, by bucket, by lead source, but we were also analyzing it all the way through to um, financial conversion. So we were looking at the actual um, dollars that the clients spent from a lead source on the firm or, you know, whether matters were productive at the end of it, which was something we all just, we developed in-house here with spreadsheets and the help of our CFO, Jeff. Um, we couldn't have done that without him. And we we're just downloading that data and, and then analyzing it like monthly. And it was shocking, actually. Some, some of the sources that converted very nicely into engagements uh, ended up with people that maybe dropped out afterwards like they they didn't pay or they or it was a smaller matter or something 
And then there were other lead sources that, you know, had less engagement, but when they did have engagement, they were really solid cases that, that good clients, good paying clients. So we, we summarily dropped, I think after analyzing for about maybe it was 90 to 180 days, it was in that first year. And I think we dropped out of those 16 lead sources. I bet we dropped uh, 12 of them. Um, wow. Yeah. They were all just like, <laughs> didn't, didn't make sense. And we just said, nope. And kind of going back to something you said earlier, I think we learned a really important lesson there in terms of generating that, that cold traffic is we understood from that, that if we couldn't control our messaging out to the, to the front end lead gen, then it was going to be a bad transition to the consultation. So if, if you, if you're out there and you're advertising, you need to make sure that you're on brand and on message with what your firm's heart and values are. And if you don't know your heart and values, you probably should start there because from there, then you can begin to speak that language in your advertising messaging and what your website says and everything needs to match. So when you're buying leads, if you buy from a third-party lead source and they're out there, they're just trying to generate leads. They'll say anything and everything to try and generate lead. And I'm not saying all of them are bad because some of them are, are good, but you have to be careful about that kind of thing uh, if you want to get good quality leads to, to go all the way through the system. So um, that's a very long answer to what you were asking. But uh, today, I think we're running Google ads. We, we have a Facebook presence. We occasionally run some Facebook ads and events. And we, I think we are working with Yelp. Um, that's been a good hit for us. And other than that, n- not much. I think we're not doing a whole lot of anything else. Those were down to those three and that's about it. Yeah. And I got a lot of, qu- I mean, first of all, congrats on finding the Holy grail as far as return on investment for channels. Cause it's like people can, you know, it's vanishingly rare, which surprised me for people to even know what they're spending, let alone being able to realize like, you know, dollar to dollar, what the return is on an actual channel. And like, like you said, you know, going down from 16 to four, you know, that's, Hey, talk about 20, <laughs> talk about the 80, 20 right there. Right. Um, so I actually have a question about the branding too. Cause, um, I also noticed that it's obviously you guys, you know, it's a two way street and, and even just from, you know, thinking back to some of the things that Ricky was saying just now, um, a lot of the messaging about helping people. And I was, you know, taking out a look at your guys' site before we ended up hopping on this call. And you guys have a really interesting brand message around rescue. So I wanted to dig into that a little bit. How did that kind of come up? I mean, what was leading to that and how did you end up, you know, settling that and really rolling that out at all different levels of the company? It, well, it started a couple of years ago in the in the redesign of the website. We worked with a firm called Spotlight Branding, and uh, they just exclusively work with lawyers across the country. And uh, we we put a lot of thought and you know discussion into speaking to you know where our clients were, and a lot of our clients, since we're a trust and estates firm, they're either maybe coming in because uh, they've lost a loved one or something like that. They're going through probate trust administration or somebody's incapacitated. So they're grieving. Um, Other people are fighting with their siblings over estate funds or something like that. So they're angry and other people are coming in doing estate planning and they're uncomfortable, right? Because they're talking about, you know, their own mortality and they're spending money to do it on top of that. So everyone is uncomfortable. And then on you, layer on top of all that just sort of what I call the chip on people's shoulder about lawyers in general that they're they're afraid of us that we're going to just charge them all kinds of crazy fees and not talk about that or not help them understand so it really was a result of of us sitting down with with spotlight and going through that you know that lead gen process and understanding controlling that message and and what we wanted the message to be was that 
you know, you're looking for help and, and we're extending our hand. We, we want to help you. We want to walk through that process with you kind of, uh, you know, Yoda, Luke Skywalker kind of thing. You know, we're, we're here to, to guide you through that. Um, we want you to feel comfortable. We're going to challenge you, but we're also going to be compassionate towards you and help you educate and understand about what's going on. So I think the, the rescue concept sort of came from that and uh, just sort of born out of our, our overall mission of just, you know, making a less frustrating legal experience for people. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's kind of interesting too. It's like, I mean, I see some parallels to this with a lot of the stuff that happens in just, you know, blog and tackle advertising stuff. It's like, you know, people always talk about message match. You have to have the landing page match, whatever you're putting out on the ad. But yeah, as far as the, the human process, it's so important to have that feedback back like both ways. So kind of on that note, you know, sometimes you have this issue where, you know, people, you know, the term tire kickers, do you guys run into people who you describe as that? Is that a term that even makes sense to your thing? And, and what do you guys do to address that uh, and, and try to minimize that as, as much as you can? Uh, I'm actually pretty familiar with um, that action. I just recently learned about that term listening to your podcast. Oh, you know, you. The, the, ser- <laughs> <laughs> the serious leads and the tire kickers. I'm enjoying the intake lingo I've been learning. Oh, yeah, definitely. There, you know, you can you can almost, I mean... I know that you're really into Eugene Schwartz in his yeah. uh, his book, and that there uh, with intake, there is like kind of a a psychological knack to it a little bit. You can almost kind of tell on the phone the tone of their voice, you know, if they're being genuine or not, or you know, maybe maybe they're just doing it to kill time, honestly, you know. But that's why I said like earlier, you know, you if you do a lot of listening, you can really kind of listen to that and and kind of decipher that almost immediately. If you really know what you're looking for, I've talked to a lot of people and we get a lot of calls on a daily basis. And so, I mean, even if I can tell it's a tire kicker, I still am uh, cordial and polite and helpful with any questions they may have. You know, my my dialogue still doesn't change much, even if they are just kind of price shopping uh, with estate planning. You know, one of our values um, is transparency with fees. So uh, if someone's calling up for, you know, a, a specific attorney's hourly rate or how much is it for trust administration or something, you know, we're still I'm still honest about the retainer for those fees, uh, the hourly rate for the the attorney uh, with estate planning, it's it's really early in the in the client journey to be able to quote those fees. Uh, there's so many different things to consider. You know, if they're a, a blended family, if they want to do separate separate trusts or something. You know, it really just depends. The whole goal on while I'm on the phone is to get them on the calendar and in the door. That, that is my main goal for them to feel comfortable enough to make the appointment and to, to get inside. And then the attorneys take over the rest. Yeah. We'll also say this too. I mean, it's, it's really refreshing to hear that that's kind of the, you know, the attitude that you're getting on this. And again, it's not like this is, this is kicking the can down the line where they have to deal with somebody worse because you didn't qualify them out. I mean, I always kind of say there's, there's usually a tension between you're either qualifying out too many people and you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater to some possibility or you're letting too many people in and you're getting hosed but I think like, as long as people are like oh man another ricky console no like it doesn't seem like it's gotten that for you but i mean i think it also speaks to the fact that you guys probably have a situation where by the time somebody's understood the value that you can provide they're probably more likely to actually move forward with that than you know if they were just getting the price and walking away right 
And then just a, a quick question, just little, little tactical one. And we know like, you know, we don't have to go into specifics or anything like that, but like relative to the market, um, would you guys consider yourselves price leaders? Are you guys about market rate or would you guys say you're at a, at a premium as far as, you know, estate planning in the area? Sure. Yeah, I can take that one. Um, we have historically tried to set ourselves at right at market or maybe just slightly under market. There's the traditional large firms in the area that are prolific estate planning firms that are going to be 30% more than us. There's smaller firms like Solos that may come in 20 or 30% less than us. And we, we try and sort of hover right in there at the at the market rate in terms of our estate planning services. I think over time, we've actually probably drifted to under market um, just because we we really didn't increase fees, you know, on an annual basis. If anything, I mean, for a couple of years there, we even were able to decrease them slightly. But uh, in the past year, probably, I think I'm seeing more signs that we probably need to go up and be slightly, you know, market or market plus just because of the the experience that we're offering and the, and the, and the target market that we're, we're seeking to serve. Yeah. And I'd say you guys are probably at less of a risk of having those things getting out of line because, you know, you clearly take, I mean, you have a CFO full-time, which is pretty rare for, for a law firm in the first place. So I don't think you're going to get caught blindsided by that, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's like also just kind of like speaking about the structure a little bit too. And this is something that I forgot to do in the intro, <laughs> but Gary, it's very interesting that you are the CEO of LawVex instead of what a lot of people would refer to as a managing partner. So you guys have taken a lot of, uh, looks like you guys have put a lot of focus on getting the structure around, um, you know, probably more of, you know, what, what a, I guess more of a main street business than the way that people are having, uh, referring to places in a law firm. So how did you guys kind of arrive at that structure? And do you guys think about things differently than the way that most firms in the area do? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a, completely different business structure from a traditional law firm, which is, you know, pyramid shaped and you have your name partner at the top and your senior partners and your junior partners and so forth. We looked at that really hard before we rebranded and set the firm up. And we were looking for something that was a flatter organization that would allow lawyers to be lawyers and administrative people, you know, business people like me to, to do that. It is part of my role and part of my title to be, you know, the managing attorney here, but, uh, my primary function and what I spend most of my day doing is running the business side of things so that the, the partners can do what they do. So the business is just structured differently that way. Uh, it allows you know the lawyers to function very independently, but under a brand that you know they don't have to manage or monitor or do the marketing or whatever. They can market themselves you know, as much or as little as they want. They don't have billable hour minimums. I mean, there's a there's a baseline threshold here, but it's it's comparably low compared to a traditional firm. And we're grading our, our partner lawyers. We're interested in their their reviews as opposed to their production. Now they there's some production obviously that has to happen, but uh, we work together with them to determine what their financial goals, what their quality of life goals are, in in a true partnership as opposed to traditional firm where you show up and you say okay, we're going to grind this person out and get as much out of them as we possibly can. So um, I, I see what we're doing more as a true partnership and the traditional firm more as a, just a, you know, like what Michael Whalen calls as the churn. Um, so we're trying to avoid that. And some people might call us a, a lifestyle firm because we do allow people to function less than full-time, but kind of, you know, call it what you want. We're interested in balance and we're interested in serving the client in an amazing way. And I think if you have an unhappy partner, you're going to have an unhappy client because they're, 
if they're incentivized to overbuild and the client's going to be angry or the attorney's going to be unavailable. And so if you just kind of realign the incentives through the business model, it gets a whole lot better. So yeah, we were very intentional about that, set it up that way from the beginning. Yeah. And I think I know the answer to this, but Gary, when's the last time you personally build an hour for the firm? Uh, let's see. Well, it was last night, actually. So oh, okay, you know, gotcha. I, <laughs> okay, I, I do. I, about a third of my time is still production. Okay. Yeah, in fact, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. After this call, um, I actually have a client meeting at, in, in a couple hours. So I'm still still practicing law, still doing stuff, but I'm, I'm a lot more niche and selective about what I do. And a lot of the basic estate planning now gets, you know, farmed off to partners that that you know are using our system and that we've trained to do that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And because <laughs> my confidence is completely misplaced on that question, but that was kind of my follow-on too, because it was interesting because you mentioned prior to the rebrand going from a solo to the point where you have almost kind of like the central, you know, marketing function almost. It's kind of like the core business that's um, feeding out to the different the different attorneys. You know, it's gonna kind of interesting how the transition works. But I guess you know on some level it's probably been a shift to the point where you have a third of your time where it was probably a little bit more in the beginning. And you've just been able to focus on working on the business a little bit more than in the business over the last couple of years, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it didn't happen all at once. This was a vision that we started with. And what we were looking for was uh, the distributed firm concept. And, you know, I, I still wanted the ability to practice with some of my clients that I've had forever and do certain things. But I, I just really enjoy uh, teaching. I, I, I like, you know, mentoring my partners that are coming out of a, a big firm environment. Some of them are, um, you know, in need of encouragement because they've never get, been given independent matter authority before for, for one reason or another. Uh, some of them are pre-retirement and we encourage them and say, hey, you can do this or we can, you know, we can use you over here and you can have a wonderful practice this way. So we're also, and a wonderful thing about our firm is we take you know, people that don't maybe quite fit the traditional firm, um, you know, sort of model. And they have a wonderful place here that they can have a little bit more of a flexible environment is still very financially productive for them to be here. But on the whole, most people choose to actually work less and make the same instead of working uh, the same and making more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, yeah. you know, most people are, are interested in in, in that kind of a, an environment. And that's what we facilitate for them. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting that like the culture is super important to you guys. And I mean, given that it's a bit of a non-traditional setup, like what are you guys doing to get more people on the team? I guess it's not necessarily the same way that most people who kind of do it old school way, but how are you guys finding winners to, you know, <laughs> get on the bus? Well, so far I haven't actually had to recruit uh, because people seem to be you know, approaching me either through LinkedIn or sh sending me an email or just, you know, shooting me a note. So I've just been hit up pretty frequently with mm. folks. Um, and, and it's enough that as we've grown and um, to be able to work that way, um, I think that's, that's beginning to be more formalized uh, as we're expanding and looking, you know, for another office and another, another location probably next year. Um, so it's, it's mostly been just a very selective um, fitting with our culture and our values and, and our team. And it probably will continue to be that way until we get a little bit larger. But I really appreciated your podcast with the gentleman who was talking about, you know, setting up business succession planning for a law firm. And I don't recall his name, but it was, it was a great, great show. Of Roy um, Ginsburg, I believe. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And he, he had some Excellent points. I remember him saying some stuff as I was listening to the podcast and I go, oh my gosh, I just said that yesterday or something. I was like, that has so resonated with me, you know? And uh, 
it's part of part of that concept of of you know what he was saying in terms of making your law practice saleable it also makes your law practice healthy um mm-hmm. in in the sense of letting lawyers be lawyers let let business you know people be business people and you know having those healthy fundamentals in terms of you know your financials and uh brand and continuity and uh you know cash flow and so forth is all is all part of being able to to have a healthy business or a law practice for sale and it also helps to to scale and grow so it's kind of for for both you know i think the vision for lawvex is uh eventually to to sprout more outsourced locations i think we'd like to have one more next year and maybe do another one the following year and just kind of continue to slowly grow out um that being said i think they're considering non-lawyer ownership in california and oh. so if that happens and we can you know get you know outside investment capital on board we could expand a lot faster but uh, that's still a little ways off yeah i mean that would <laughs> that's a completely different if we get uh, that ends up happening we're gonna have to be touching base on <laughs> a podcast and whatever that ends up cracking on but i mean this is the thing i i really uh you know one of the reasons i thought it was super important to get you guys on is that I detect absolutely no sense of stigma around the disciplined pursuit of people who are contacting the firm in order looking for help. And unfortunately, some people think of that as beneath them or think of that as sales, but you guys have just built that into the culture. And, you know, what are the, you know, what's, what are you guys able to reap from that? It's an organization that's in a position to scale very effectively and you have control over your stuff and you know that, you know, the marketing efforts are going to be showing uh, bearing fruit as, as time goes on. And just, it's just really a lot of that responsibility and, and prioritization, to be honest, that's been able to get it to that point. So I wanted to switch gears. I had a couple of um, tactical questions that I wanted to kind of uh, touch base on. So uh, one of the things was follow-up. So to, to this point, we've spoken a little bit about people who are calling the firm. But how do you guys think about either people that are coming in from a form fill or people that might fall off the path at some point? So, you know, what if we have a situation where the office manager calls in for the touch base, the person doesn't pick up or somebody doesn't show up for, you know, a consult or like what's kind of the philosophy that you guys take on that? And and, and what do you guys end up doing with it? I think, um, well, one thing's for sure. Once they once they get into our system, then we have their email address and they go on our email newsletter um, which is sent out monthly and just updating. So there's there's a passive inbox that that they're going to get an email in their inbox. But I don't know, Ricky. You want do you want to respond to that? Maybe you have something more to add specific. So sometimes when the office manager does do a follow up call, they do leave a voicemail. Most of the time, people do call back, or they they just end up showing up to their appointment. Uh, there are times, you know, naturally people go through the intake pipeline. Everything's great. They do the the matter review call. They fill out the assessment, and then the day come, their appointment date comes, and then they no show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when that happens, you know, it's something that we certainly do document. Uh, maybe that that potential client is not a good fit for our firm. Uh, we do take the the proper guidelines and steps to follow up with that individual. Uh, we generally try to follow up at least three times uh, within their no-show of their appointment. But like Gary said, just to reiterate, uh, we do put them into our, our email newsletter. Uh, we do have record of them in our system. If they ever do choose to contact our firm and, and reschedule their appointment, 
We do have a fillable form on our LawBex website that you are able to fill out uh, as a web, just a web form inquiry as well with, with your information also. As soon as something like that comes into my email and I get notified of it, I drop everything I'm doing and I reach out to that lead immediately. <laughs> that is something that I was trained on my very first day at LawVex. Um, you contact that person as soon as possible. Yeah, that's awesome. And because the contact rate is, I mean, that's one of the things too. It's interesting when, um, I mean, we've, we've been doing a lot more work with our clients to just kind of uh, parse those things up and kind of see, but it's like, I think a lot of people underestimate how many leads, if you look at the total people that fall off, I think more people are lost in that initial contact than after you've actually gotten them on the phone. Because I think it's like, it's the most vulnerable because I mean, they don't know who they're letting down at that point, but after, you know, if they have a call and then they don't pick up the second one, like, Oh geez, Ricky doesn't think I'm a jerk. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, and that's, that's honestly, it's, it's probably a bigger leg up than you guys even realize if that was day one stuff, that's, that's something that takes people years sometimes to get that, that, uh, that going. And another thing I wanted to ask as far as uh, the follow-up stuff. So, okay. So we got three, three follow-ups with any no-show. And that's the thing too. Like um, I'm, I'm, it's a lot of people will just write those off immediately. But if you guys still have that built in the process, like I'm assuming there are people that end up getting the recovery. And then as far as, you know, we've spoken a lot about getting people into the consultation, but what have you guys put any thought into uh, the actual close rate once somebody's on a consultation? There's a couple of questions that have kept coming up. It's like, you know, especially with COVID and stuff, you've got the, Hey, this really sounds great, but you know, I think I'm going to have to get back to this a little bit later. Like, what do you guys do when, when those kind of um, objections end up coming up? Yeah, very much. Um, we, we worked hard on that uh, after we started setting a lot of appointments for some of our partners who were newer with us. Uh, all of our partners are eight years, 10 years, even longer attorneys, but they weren't necessarily treated as having that independent matter authority and being able to engage a client at their prior firms. So uh, we have a, a basic system that we go through in an initial consultation, if it's if it's a pre-consult, then it's a, you know, we want to listen to them, hear them first. That's critical because lawyers tend to talk too much. And so to put them at ease, we sort of let them vent and talk, you know, hear what their goals are and ask a few questions and kind of meet and greet that way. And then we want them to hear about who we are and share our values and then a personal story from the attorney, like this is why I practice this kind of law and sort of the story grid uh, mentality. And then get into at least at a high level sort of this is how this kind of matter works based on what you're sharing with me, whether it's estate planning or probate or trust administration, here's the basic steps. And so you share some education and just give that freely, not as legal advice necessarily, but as general information. And then and then get to a point where you can say, you know, going forward, if, if you're going to engage us and hire us, then uh, if, if we're doing a fixed fee matter, I know enough, I should be able to quote you a fixed fee. Here it is. Are we moving forward or not? And in a trust administration or probate, these are our retainers and if this works for you, you like our firm, you like us, think we're competent, then let's engage. So that that sounds simple enough, but most lawyers have never heard that routine before. And they were approaching initial consultations as uh, spring-loaded to give legal advice. And, and I, I'm telling them, like, first of all, from a conflict standpoint, that's a bad idea. Uh, second of all, that's not the function of the consultation. Function of the consultation is get an engagement. So get to know them, let them get to know you, share your heart, share your values, share your story share a little bit about this kind of matter and say, okay, is that a good fit for you? You know, do you want to, do you want to engage us? So uh, going through that with some of our partners, um, especially the ones who had not been 
given that kind of independence at their prior firms has been really critical and and just teaching it and then going you know over questions with them and even doing you know video training sessions and stuff we've invested a lot in that so that they could at least get that methodology down and i know you mentioned story frame but is there any other sort of i guess um framework that you guys have used to, to kind of arrange that as far as the, the consultation itself goes uh, it's pretty detailed in in our estate planning process. Uh, I've I've got it down to to a science. I mean, I, I've done so many of those. We we I think we're on track to do a couple hundred a year. So it's very specific in the estate planning side. On the other matters, it's more um, here's a framework and kind of fill in the gaps. I mean, we don't want to overly script our attorneys. They should have the ability to free wheel within the framework as they see fit, right? So, um, but. The, the priority being you need you need to listen to them you need to share about you and about the firm and then you need to get to you know the the general information about the case and then an engagement so um so not specifically in the other matters like as long as they're following sort of that protocol in the consult then it usually uh works out okay awesome yeah so you guys more or less developed this this process in-house just from the experience of doing all of these right yeah well somewhat although um you also had uh Allie uh, on your show recently. Mm-hmm. So I, I was listening to her cons- consultations back in, gosh, 2008, when mm-hmm. she was first doing Alexis Martin Neely stuff. And so she had a an intake system and I was, I was one of her customers and listening to her podcasts. That's, gosh, that's 12 years ago. Yeah. And she was one of the first people to really go out there and say, hey, this is a, this is an intake system. This is a service system. And we went all in on that because I was first starting, you know, my solo practice. And uh, so a lot of the fundamentals, I think I, I have to, you know, give credit where credit's due is her and other people who were out there talking about it at the time. What we do now is, is our own, obviously, adaptation of it because um, yeah. it's been a decade. But I, I, I think, you know, everybody needs to listen to people like you, Case Fuel, uh, you know, people like her who have been doing it. And they'll, they'll pick up the, the bits and pieces that are fundamentals and then they can tweak it to their own, you know, their own system. Yeah. And I guess, no, at some point too, it's like, you know, you have these things so internalized. I'm sure if like you look at a particular part of the framework, sometimes you don't even know, like, you know, what stuff that that we came up with versus stuff that I heard sometimes like once upon a time. Right. So, um, yeah, you can, uh, I guess what, uh, what did Bruce Lee once say? I think it was, uh, you must learn form to become free of form or something like that. Okay. Last question. And this is kind of, uh, I guess, I guess in the, in the cell. So you guys mentioned again, we, we've kind of uh, skirted past the referrals. Do you guys have any sort of a system in place for getting more referrals out of the clients that you guys are already signing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we went, we went heavy in, into that arena. Um, there's, there's probably more than I could tell you in, in this podcast, but yeah, we absolutely have a referral system. There's a lot of, uh, simple things that we do. Ricky mentioned earlier, if somebody sends, we're going to obviously send them a handwritten thank you note. Um, we track the referral source. So we have a custom field in our, you know, Clio matter that we know who it is. Um, we will uh, do what we call VIP refer events multiple times a year. And we invite those referral sources. We invite them to bring their, you know, people that they want to refer, whether it's a financial advisor and their client or a CPA or whatever. And we, we just went to a, you know, kind of a, um, 
mode where instead of just asking people referrals, we'd rather give them something first. And so what we were giving them was, hey, show up, we'll give you an appetizer and a drink and we'll hang out with you and we'll show you that we're not these evil lawyers that you can't hang out with. We're cool people. And uh, so we we started creating these VIP refer events and we, we were prolific at it until COVID hit, but we can't wait to get back to it because they're actually a lot of fun. And then the other thing that we've done is uh, something we call bagel bombing, which is when a, a group or a, a title company or a CPA group or something refers, we'll have Ricky swing by with uh, bagels and coffee in the morning and and just say, hey, thanks a lot. Here's, you know, from us, we appreciate you guys and uh, try and continue to build that relationship towards maybe even doing a lunch and learn or something like that. So uh, I could go on and on, but yeah, we, we have a elaborate <laughs> referral program. I was going to say, yeah, shame on me for not asking this earlier in the process, but I know you guys got to go, but um, yeah, guys, it has been so helpful. And I think for anyone, I mean, regardless of whether you're, you know, you're solo right now, or you're getting to the point where you're scaling up. I think there's so many valuable lessons to be on this. I know I'm going to be listening to this one a couple of times and I'm going to be sending this to some of our clients. <laughs> I think it's been super helpful. So um, thank you guys so much for taking the time to be on the show. Well, you're, you're welcome. Yeah, my pleasure. I really enjoy your podcast. Uh, you have some, you know, fantastic guests and it's an honor really to be included. And uh, yeah, thanks for having us. All right. Thanks, guys. And we'll be on another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode. 